This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Today on the show, we'll welcome back Tom Mann from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. He does lots of work with the cold-blooded creatures here in Mississippi, including the 30 different species of salamander. Last time Tom visited with us, he was literally helping these salamanders cross the road with his bucket brigade. So we'll get updates on that. And uh, as always, Dr. Major is here for some pet questions. So join the conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can also email the show. It's animals at mpbonline.org. And the show repeats every Saturday morning at 6, so Thursdays at 9 and Saturday mornings at 6, your chance to hear Creature Comforts here on MPB Think Radio. So good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good. Uh, Libby, any events that you want to talk about? Let's see. I know that in Clarksdale at Quapaw Canoe Company this Saturday which um, I've lost track, is that the 15th, I think? Yes. yes. The 15th. At noon, there are going to be some programs about the Mississippi River. And let's see, Tom may know more than I do about this. We're transitioning at the Natural Science Museum between exhibits. <laughs> We've been Animals of the night are coming, right? I haven't looked up. We're moving, we- we're moving the previous exhibit into boxes now for... Shipping out Monday. So, so we've Ripley's, all believe evolved, it or not, is leaving. In, huh? in dismantling and repackaging Ripley's, all of us. So. And Lots it's a of big exhibit. So, again, we're going to be talking about salamanders throughout the hour with our guest Tom Mann, uh, Dr. Major, here, ready to take some pet questions. And as always, if you have a brush with wildlife that you'd like to share with us, we'd be interested to hear that as well. Uh, so, Tom, give us, if you would, to start out the Biology 101 on salamanders. What what exactly are they? <laughs> we hope it takes this time. Uh, we'll make this as simple as we can, at least in the U.S. I'm not going to go beyond that. Uh, salamanders are amphibians, and they share with li- most of the ones we have in the state, not all, share with lizards um, four legs. Okay. All of, our, all of our lizards have four legs unless something's taken one off. Salamanders mainly share that we have a few exceptions, the sirens for one. Um, but they mainly have four legs. But salamanders, you know, they have smooth skin, often sticky skin, not slimy, but often sticky. It can be slimy with a big cryptobranch because the hellbenders and uh, at Bear Creek, but generally not slimy, but a little bit tacky. But the lizards have scales. They may hard, be hard to see. They may be small scales, as with the skinks. But they are lizards. So salamanders do not have salamanders lizards, do not right? have salamanders do not have scales. Okay. Do not have scales in this country. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and they don't have claws. Um, lizards have claws. Salamanders don't have claws. They have little, little sticky toe tips, um, tacky toe tips, except for newts, which don't have, they're not sticky. Um, so basically they, you're telling us salamanders are not lizards. Salamanders are amphibians. They aren't lizards. Right. <laughs> okay. Dead. But, and again, most of our amphibians, all the frogs, most of, many of the salamanders have the classic biphasic life history. You have a terrestrial adult. Well, uh, in, a, in an aquatic larvae, you lay your eggs in water. It's not true of the plethodons, 
which are uh, a group of our lungless salamanders. It's not true of the one I work with on the trace, the Webster salamander. Um, but uh, many of the salamanders will lay eggs in water, many of the stream dwellers, and then move away for some distance. So they, they're the um, the biphasic issue is what separates. Uh, so it's similar to a tadpole turning into a. Yeah, a, exactly, exactly. Okay. So, uh, in fact, we'll talk about marble salamanders today. These have an aquatic, a terrestrial adult, lung-bearing like us, and a gilled larvae for a couple of months. So. All right. So we have a caller on the line. So why don't we invite uh, John from Madison into the conversation? Good morning, John. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Hey, I just wanted to poke at Tom for just a second. Uh, what when you when you said the lizards don't have legs? There's uh, are have legs, have four legs. What what about there's there's one? Yes, there's three. The glass <laughs> lizards, correct. Thank you. The glass the glass lizards you call the glass snake. You're correct. Uh, and I wanted to see if there was if y'all had ever had any update on the salamanders up in North Mississippi. Uh, it, the hybridization that kind of looked at a little bit when it came to some of the cave salamanders. John. I'd like to hear that. Yep. We have not done any genetic work on that. That's still speculative. All right. Okay. Thank you. All right, John, thanks for your call. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Tom Mann from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science talking about salamanders. We'll learn more about salamanders throughout the hour, but also uh, Dr. Major's here ready to take some pet questions. And again, if you've had a brush with wildlife recently that you'd be willing to share with us, we always want to hear uh, what you've been doing when you've been out and about. Um, so as at the top of the show, we mentioned 30 different species of salamander uh, here in Mississippi. Um, are there ones that are more prevalent than others? Like maybe the top five, top three, something like that. Sure, sure. Uh, one that one is going to find in most wooded spots in Mississippi is the is the slimy salamander, which is of the plethodontid group. It has no lungs, but it's strictly terrestrial, including the larvae is strictly terrestrial. There's no no aquatic phase. That's one that would be more or less any. It could be in any wooded area. Um, so hold on a minute. You said no lungs, but it's terrestrial. It is terrestrial, correct? So does it have to go it, underwater? It needs, it's not. A, it's terrestrial. Okay, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it needs to be in a moist environment. It may be inside a log, maybe beneath uh-huh. a log, maybe under the leaf litter, uh, maybe in some tunnel someplace. But they stay um, nice, high humidity. Really, is what so we're the, talking the, about. Again, our biggest. We have seven um, families of salamanders. The most species of those, the largest in the eastern U.S., is the plethodontid group and they don't have lungs so it's hard to get your head around that why is that they never choke to death their air air, they're breathing through their skin so the um their air passages are never blocked when they're trying to ingest something they can eat larger things perhaps than we could but they never choke to death so (laughs) but they need to stay moist now see i think some might some humans might like that uh See? Having that where you can eat as much as you want See? without having to worry so about that there is a, there's a trade-off there. there but that was, was, that, was that the actual name? Slimy salamander? Yeah, plethodon glue. Well, actually, here it's called the Mississippi slimy okay. salamander. Okay. That's its common and name. They, it's and a nickname. Yeah. And, they, and that is one that I'm careful about. When I'm plucking one of those off of my fences, I really don't want to get a good hand on that because I'm going to have stick them. It really so is I, slimy. I, I let them crawl in my hand and move them off. Uh, I don't, you don't grab those. All right, so how big are, are salamanders, or how, what is like a size range? 
Uh, our equipment, the biggest, the longest ones we have would be the um, amphiomas, and those could be a meter long. So that's that's your upper range there. Mm-hmm. The um, smallest, my um, little, my Websters are in that range, several inches, three inches maybe. And the small one, the juvenile would be half of that, you know. Right, and you mentioned Webster's, and so that's the one that you primarily work with with, with stories when you've told us about the Bucket Brigade and helping that's them. That's the one we do research on. Okay. We started working with uh, just getting spotted samples out of the road in winter, and doing that, we discovered the Webster's, and we backed into the uh, marble salamanders, which also migrate. So we work with those three a so lot. So just give us a quick overview again. So the, the, the salamander literally has to get across the road, and you and your volunteers... Help them. Tell us well, about how brings, that whole the, works. We mentioned migration is a theme today, and this is uh, most amphibians are m- moving from where their eggs were laid in a wet spot to uh, to a terrestrial upland. So they disperse from that, then return when they mature and breed again. So that's the general phenomenon. The Websters we work with, they don't have to do that because they aren't going to water to breed. They weren't thought to migrate for that reason, but they... They take half the year off, if you will, hiding from our Mississippi sun deep underground in rock crevices. No one's ever seen them underground. That's just where they converge and disappear before summer starts. Um, and they re- they come out of the ground, and then they disperse from that. They may go several hundred meters uh, midwinter, and then they go back. So they aren't leaving. There is not the aquatic terrestrial deal, but they're still they're moving. We think they're dispersing from the rocks to avail themselves of food resources. If they stayed right over the rocks, it'd be a small patch of forest to work. So they move way out, they come back. All age classes do that. So whether you're doing that as a Websters or if you're moving from a breeding area as a spotted or marble salamander, going to the uplands and then coming back, you're migrating. Come and go, come and go. And you, if there's a road there, you've got problems. The busier road, the more the problem. Right. <clears throat> So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that and about salamanders in general. If you have a question for us, you can give us a call. Dr. Major here ready to take a pet question as well. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Got a little salamander trivia for you. The largest salamander in the world is the Chinese giant salamander. Is it 5 feet long, 8 feet long, or 12 feet long? We'll have the answer after this break. You're listening to on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're visiting today with Tom Mann from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science talking about salamanders. So if you have a question or a comment for us and want to join the conversation, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. You can always email the show as well. It's animals at mpbonline.org. If you missed today's show or any of the shows that you listen to on MPB Think Radio, a reminder that you can download the MPB Public Media app uh, and listen to our uh, podcast. It's, it's basically MPB Think Radio on your schedule. So that's a free app. I have one on my phone and that's very handy to have. Before the break, we talked about how long the Chinese giant salamander, the largest salamander in the world, is. If you guessed, Tom, do you know, by the way? I'm guessing five. You are exactly right. Five feet long. So that's almost as tall as I am. So that, that's, a, that's a large uh, critter. I've uh, got a couple of questions uh, on the line. So let's begin on the phones again. We're off to Tippa County. Phil has called in today. Good morning, Phil. Go ahead. 
Hey, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Uh, I'm Joe from Tippecanoe. County. Oh, I do. Sorry about that, Joe. You're on the air. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, my my house is about a half a mile or less, about a quarter of a mile from the Tennessee line. And one day I was out in the yard and I picked a, I uprighted a bucket, and under it was something that scared me when I saw it. It looked like a. I thought it was a Gila monster at first. It was a large uh, creature. Its head sort of looked like a arrow shape. And um, I, my son knows all about these things, so I described it to him. He told me what it was, and I looked it up in a book in the library, but I've forgotten the name of it. But it uh, it was a large uh, – I wouldn't have touched it for anything. I don't mind picking up snakes, and, uh, and I don't mind picking up lizards and salamanders, but this one sort of scared me. I don't wonder if he knows what it is. I'll listen for my answer. We all have a consensus here that we think we know what it is. Tom, you're the... <laughs> Broad-headed skink, was the, was the head brownish or reddish? Joe, to turn down your phone and to listen to us, we'll see if we can help you out. Was it brownish or reddish colored? Was the head, is, was the head, is, was the head a little bit brownish or reddish? Well, now he's dropped off. All right. Uh-oh. Well, sorry, Tom. Or, well, we'll, we'll right. talk about right. broad-headed skinks then. That's, yeah. That was a lizard. Yeah. yeah, we're pretty sure it was a broad-headed skink. And they can be. It's, it's probably good you didn't pick it up. I know um, they can give you a pretty good bite. But it wouldn't damage you. You'd be no, okay. No, but it hurts. It hurts. I've had it on my thumb, and I don't like it. <laughs> I've never been bitten by one. But uh, they're good insect eaters. That's always a plus. They, they like they, roaches. They wasps. They eat wasps. Speaking of insects, let me di- divert here for just a moment. <clears throat> Was Went down to Florida last week for a visit. Mm-hmm. Um, the love bugs are just incredible. I mean, I, I think from maybe... Florence south towards Hattiesburg, it got to the point where it was raining love bugs. I mean, splat, 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 splat. I got so much, my my bug juice ran out of my car, so I actually, fortunately, ran through some rain because I was, I mean, it was just amazing. So um, I'm thinking that's got to be next week's show. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about love well, we, bugs. We know that yeah. six-degree weather here doesn't bother them. Well, that's for sure because they are are out in full force. Okay, back to the phone lines we go. Teresa's called in from Bellhaven. Good morning, Teresa. Go ahead, please. Good morning. I'm calling about Dr. Major's new patient, Minnie, my my poodle uh, mix from Mexico. She's a rescue, and she has some anxiety, and at least once or twice a day she tends to bite her hind leg and run around in circles, and it looks kind of painful. And I don't know what this behavior means, and I'm wondering what we should do about it. Okay, has she damaged the skin where she's biting? She hasn't damaged the yeah. skin yet. Yeah. I've only had her about a month, and so you know, I'm not real um, familiar with this behavior. Right. It sounds a little strange, like she may be hurting somewhere, uh-huh. uh, causing her to do that. And it's on her rear leg? Yeah, she's okay. biting her rear leg. You know, without getting into medication or anything like that, you might try if it, you feel like it's anxious, you might try swaddling using a thunder shirt uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. on her just to see if that makes a difference. Uh, a okay. lot of times that will help with a dog that's anxious. Other than that, probably needs to be checked. Uh, as I remember, she's a very pretty dog, and uh, I'm not sure exactly why she's doing this. So there may be some pain referred even from a hip uh, or back causing them to causing her to bite it herself okay okay maybe i'll bring her in to let her see you okay thank you all right thank uh, teresa you, Major. 
Thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Tom Mann uh, from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're learning about salamanders today. So if you have a question for Tom, a pet question, or want to tell us about one of your brushes with wildlife, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. So, Tom, we talked about the, the different, a couple of different species of salamander that are in Mississippi. Are they found throughout the state, or are they statewide? Okay, not all species, but we have salamanders statewide. All right, and you said that um, you were doing the research on the Webster. Uh, let's talk about a couple of the others. The the spotted and the marbled. You've mentioned a couple of times. Tell us a little bit about those. Spotted and marbled. Marbled is the next one I'm going to see in the trace starting next couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, small guys, oh, four or five inches, four inches long, chunky. Uh, black background and silver or white crossbars. They're they're pretty generally distributed in forest lands, bottomlands, and they migrate. They move into depressions of which will flood later. Um, so they're going they're going into moving in the next couple, in the next month in the next month into depressions which will flood later. The fem- they mate, they court. The females lay their eggs beneath limbs and guard them there until the water comes and then they leave the females have lungs like us and can't remain in the water but they may guard those eggs for one month two months maybe two and a half months until the water comes well that's interesting that they anticipate that like so they're sort of fixing up the home so everything well, is ready is, when the rain comes this is one of my <clears throat> my phenological events that i treasure so much the the pattern in uh, natural uh, events through time this is a big one. This is, goes in my cal- calendar every year. When did the sp- when did the marbles cross the road? When are they breeding? So that's an entry, a calendar entry every year. So, so they, do we know that we're probably going to have a lot of rain if the, uh, if the marbles to, start has nothing to do with that? Okay. And in fact, the, in fact, the annual um, the differences, the cl- climatic variation can can lead to rough times for them. If you if it, if they move. And it doesn't rain, and the female lays eggs. The, the males make well. The males aren't going to move out again until it rains again. They can move out. The females are stuck there, guarding the eggs until the rain comes. Ideally, for them, the rain would come fairly soon. The eggs are going to be ready to hatch within nine days. Um, again, the puddles fill, and the females would split. If they have to guard those eggs and guard them and guard them, the, the threat from predators, the threat from drying up increases so there's pluses and minuses but if they're in that basin and rain comes late and the eggs finally hatch and then marbles uh spotted cylinders move in lay their eggs and those hatch these guys can eat the larvae of the, their larger cousin so it is <laughs> pluses and minuses and then it doesn't always work you don't these are fairly long-lived, and they may not be successful every year. Uh, so how, about, can you give us an idea of how many years? I'm good, I'm, for these, I'm going to say maybe five to ten. That's we don't know. pretty impressive our, for something that small and fragile. Web, our little Webster salamander, which is much smaller, Deb and I have been marking those now for some years. We have at least two that are at least six years old. Really tiny little earthworm-sized guys. So, Back to the phone lines we go. We start again in Blue Mountain. Jerry's called in today. Good morning, Jerry. Go ahead. Hi, guys. Uh, just a quick question. I saw my first velvet ant, which I understand is not an ant, but a female wasp, uh, this weekend since I was a kid living in the country, and this was in a neighborhood. And uh, I understand those guys are pack a pretty good punch. I saw some 
stuff on YouTube, but uh, I was wondering how prevalent are are those velvet ants? I know they're nicknamed the cow killer. Um, how prevalent are they in Mississippi? I see them everywhere. I see them occasionally too. Yeah, I I remember. Yeah, I remember the first one I ever saw that I picked up. I was Ooh. I was in the fourth grade, and I thought it was so pretty. Okay. Picked it up and. Trivia question, yeah. <laughs> uh, which one has wings? Which sex? Male. Right, the female doesn't, yeah. doesn't have wings. The male, find, he flies to find her, right? Presumably. Isn't that how they do? <laughs> yeah. That's what we're or flying away from her? We don't know. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe yeah. away. She's but Jerry, no, I mean, oh, the, no, this is Michael, right? No, this is Or did we lost yeah. Jerry? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I think they are not uncommon, yeah. but I think we're not outside like we were when we were kids to find them maybe as often. I and they probably do succumb to a lot of poison. You know, when I saw many of them as a child, we didn't have fire ants, so we weren't killing. I, although I don't think the bait would kill them because they're a wasp. They shouldn't be affected. I don't know why we... But they're around. I, don't, I wouldn't say they're rare, but maybe not as prevalent as when we were kids. All right. Back to the phone lines we go. We say good morning to Michael in Jackson. You're on the air with us. Go ahead, Michael. Good morning. Um, I'm actually from Atlanta, uh, but I'm here visiting, and uh, I work with a not-for-profit organization in Atlanta called the Amphibian Foundation. And uh, two of the projects we have are breeding and reintroduction of two of our rarest amphibians in Georgia, uh, the frosted flatwood salamander and the uh, Carolina gopher frog. And my question is, uh, here in Mississippi, uh, which of the amphibians are under the greatest amount of uh, threat or, or the most endangered? What are those threats, and are there conservation efforts underway here in Mississippi to uh, steward or reintroduce or care for those populations? Uh, hi. Uh, our Mississippi gopher frog, same deal. The main threat there is, the, again, development around, um, around its um, coastal uh, low places and lack of appropriate burning that's the big one if they don't if the woods don't burn in the summer and and stay open uh it can, it, the understory becomes congested with uh, other trees shrubs things like that and that's that's the worst thing with these guys on the coast and we do have a uh, repatriation program underway uh we for years have um various researchers and now Jim Lee at um at uh Camp Shelby have been rearing. Uh, we get eggs from the few remaining ponds, rear those, and put those out of their new ponds, or, re- or stock the old ones again. And also now, I think we're using zoo reared animals. All these were we um, we took uh, eggs from at that time the sole remaining important pool as as in- as insurance and spread this out to a number of zoos, and and that's been successful. So now we're putting some of those animals back at different ponds in the wild now. So the Forest Service has been pretty good about making new basins for us, rehabilitating old basins. We wish we saw more summer burning, but we are we have gained headway with that with that frog and the Mississippi gopher frog. We don't have any salamanders in that dire straight. We do have rare salamanders and some in the case of I'll be working with the one later today, the green salamander in Tishomingo County, there is no making new habitat for that. The rocks are what they are and where they are. Um, but that's uh, they live in Rocky. Yeah, I guess fo- the other problem with um, gopher frog is the chytrid fungus. The chytrid fungus and uh, other species as well. The uh, flatwood salamander part of its problem too uh, 
in both Georgia and in Florida is lack of appropriate burning. Uh, so that's a general theme with those um, animals. All right. Michael, thanks uh, for calling in this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. So, Tom, you're telling us, I think it was about the marbled salamanders, the ones that are going, migrating to find the, the area that will eventually fill up with water. <clears throat> Would they be a candidate for um, your work that you do on the, on the Natchez Trace, the bucket brigades? It's the next one we see. Okay. We'll be out there in late September, October nights, and we'll see waves of them. First males, then a mix of males and females, then the tail end um, females heading toward the basins to rendezvous, may females lay eggs. Males linger around a little bit longer, hoping for other opportunities, and then in a subsequent rain, they'll head back. So they have to cross the road it you know twice each year. Uh, females will, when the ponds flood, they'll come out. So they trickle out. By the time the females are coming back across the road to their to their wetlands, we'll have Webster salamanders dispersing. We'll be work, working those as well. So it gets kind of interesting. And if I remember correctly, one year you actually brought in, and it literally is buckets. Do you? I mean, so you just kind of scoop them up? They're small scoops, little quart-sized scoops. And on a busy night, we stay busy. I mean, I have a number of volunteers, and my wife works with this. She teaches at Millsaps. Uh, we have uh, Will Selman now at Millsaps, Dr. Selman, who used to work at the museum uh, with us. Um, went to Southern, now he's out and back at Millsaps with his own bevy of students, and they've been great. They come out and help as well. So everyone's wearing reflectors. We have permits. Uh, we don't dart in front of traffic, uh, but we try to scoop them up before the traffic minces them. And about how long a night? I mean, are we are there about y'all out there for hours? Or? I used to stay out all night, but now I just stay out when the traffic's bad. Maybe you know, from from dusk to midnight, usually. Okay. We need to take another quick break. When we get back, we'll continue our visit with Tom Mann. We're learning about salamanders today. Doctor Major's here, ready to take some pet questions as well. The phone number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. During the break, ponder this question. Both salamanders and frogs are amphibians and have long tongues, but how long can that be? Is it two times, five times, or ten times its body length? We'll have the answer after the break. If you miss anything on MPB Think Radio, you can always stay up to date by logging on to our website at mpbonline.org or use your mobile device and download our MPB public media app. This is MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our guest today is Tom Mann from the museum. We're learning today about salamanders. So before the break, we had our question that salamanders and frogs have very long tongues, but can they be two times, five times, or ten times longer than the body length? So do we have any guesses here in the studio? Libby, what your guess was? I said five times, but I do not know. Winner, winner, winner. Oh, oh. really? Oh, good. Five times. So you can imagine that we. our first question was the largest salamander in the world was five feet long, so his tongue oh, could great. possibly be 25 <laughs> feet long. So that's uh, – that. you could be zapping bugs from across the pond on okay, that one. Okay, I'm going to go read a little bit more about that. That one is aquatic. <laughs> that one's aquatic. It's not going to be projecting that tongue. <laughs> okay, so it may not even no. have a long tongue. Uh, but it's, it's fun it's to aquatic. think. You know, yeah, that's yeah. – well, that's, the, that's the fun part of it, the show. I can make up stuff as much as I want to about animals. So. <laughs> yes. I want to know what he eats. I guess it's that old whatever he wants. You know? <laughs> All right, back to the phones we go. Chris has called in from Bay St. Louis. Chris, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. 
Hi, guys. Great job. Great show, as, as usual. Thanks. Look, the Dusky Gopher Frog, y'all talked a little bit about it. I know y'all are probably aware, but this October, when the United States Supreme Court goes into session, the first case it's supposed to hear yes. is that takings claim against the Fish and Wildlife Service over in Dora Covington, Louisiana. So I don't know if y'all were aware of that. Yes. <laughs> So um, just a point of interest to see where this uh, Supreme Court will go with that. All right. Thanks uh, for the phone call, Chris. Let's uh, move on next. We've got William in Starkville. Good morning, William. You're on the air with us. Yes, good morning. I was uh, curious how how uh, uh, we happen to have arrive on our doorstep a peahen, a uh, female peacock, that uh, uh, seems to linger around the house. I, I <clears throat> saw it first in, in deep shadow and, and couldn't tell whether it was a turkey or a pheasant, or, uh, and it hardly crossed my mind. I was thinking the big tail, and there's no tail on the female. But anyway, I'm just curious uh, if, uh, if this happens, if there are any, if, any, if anyone knows that there are, there are loose peacocks around or if anybody <laughs> needs to claim this one. Uh, any thoughts on that? Pe- peacocks in Starkville? Yeah. It, it seems it seems friendly. I, I walked out on uh, the, the porch when it had moved and didn't know it was there, and, and uh, I was within five or seven feet of it, and it wasn't. Uh, uh, it was a little agitated, but it wasn't uh, uh, wild. So, if any so listeners anyway, have if lost their peahen, yeah, <laughs> we, we we have one here in Starkville. There may be someone with uh, several. I know uh, somebody here in this area that has about eight or ten of them, and uh, they can they can make some noise for certain when they want to. It sounds like if you're out in the woods and you hear this strange sound, don't think it's a uh, cougar. A lot of times it sounds like a person in distress when they make that sound. So it can make quite... Make the hair come up on your back, back of your neck, if it, you hear that. You so know? William will have to decide if he wants a peahen, possibly. Right. Well, somebody, somebody around the area has got some. I'm sure. Yeah, Surely somebody will come for it, right. William. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, not that unusual, William. And maybe as Dr. Major suggests, someone had some, uh, and one of them got loose. But because uh, that would seem to that be that docile, you would think that it's, it must be uh, used to being around humans. Um, so Tom, I believe uh, before the show started, uh, we were chatting. You have a story about a salamander regrowing a limb? Yep, this is back to the marbled salamander again. Again, mm-hmm. the ones we'll be crossing this month. This guy we found crossing away. She was heading away from the breeding ponds, either a small female or a big juvenile. Um, crossing the trace, was run over. I assumed it was a goner. It was. It, it looked that yeah. uh, was. the head was up. It was contorted. It wasn't moving. And one forelimb was badly damaged. The other forelimb was useless. I put her in a cup on the car. I was going to make a museum specimen of it the next day. In the meantime, it kept raining, and there was an inch of water in the car when I got back to it hours later. But she when I, she had a, writing, a weak writing reflex. So I said, okay, you get wet leaves in a, in a bag for the night. Check in the morning. In the morning, she had a strong writing reflex. Again, both forelimbs were useless. So I said, okay, we'll give you a chance. Um, I, the the um, left forelimb was just shattered. It was stuff sticking. I cut that one off cleanly, put her in a quart container with wet leaves and fed her earthworms for the next six months. 
Within two months, she had, there was no re-limb, there was no new limb growth evident, but there was a little callus that looked busy there. Within a month, she had sprouted new fingers, an extra one too, plus a little bit of forelimb from that same scar. By Nature Fest at the museum, she was well, she was well underway. Uh, she had everything. She didn't have the upper arm yet, but she had the full. She was an inspiration to the kids that visited. Within a month of that, by I'm going to say end of April, she had everything back. She had an extra, an extra finger, the the original four plus an extra, um, and the full limb. A little bit different shape, a little bit awkward, but she could use it. And by the time we released her in July, she could run with it. She was um, fast and could climb. Very inspirational. So cool. And the other limb, by the way, that was doing nothing, had recovered its use within a month as well. So they're remarkable animals. So any speculation as to why the extra, what did you say, toe or, or finger? Uh, my herpetological friend, Jen Lamb, now in Minnesota. Minnesota says that she worked with a, a person in Louisiana that suggests that they don't have it. It's not, it's, it, uh, whatever's working there, they clearly regenerate a usable limb, but it's not always quite an exact replica. It may work better with newts, but these guys do a good job, so I don't know why. It wasn't quite right, but it worked. But that's a, something that all well. salamanders would be able to do? I'm not going to say all, uh, but I know that spotted, spotted salamanders can do this as well, and newts do that, so we're going to go with all right. Uh, we had earlier in the show talked about some of the different uh, kinds of salamanders, but I don't think that we kind of described them, so... Let's go back, uh, and some of these might be obvious, like the spotted salamander, I'm guessing, has spots. Again, that one's a common, it's not statewide, but close, and it's fairly common. Most folks never see them. They have lungs like we do. They're fairly large. They can live maybe 20 years, maybe longer, Um, maybe six, seven, eight inches, nine inches long, a large one, and they move at night in the winter. They're totally terrestrial as adults. Move back to the breeding ponds, which may already have little larvae of the marbled salamanders. They mate their legs and head back across the road if there's a road in the way. So that leads to a question Libby asked earlier. What If folks want to minimize harm to these guys, what should they do? <laughs> um, I, I live near Spring Ridge Road in Clinton, for example. Spring Ridge, uh, 30 years ago, had lots of these sorts of things. It had another rare frog, the crawfish frog, um, crossing. It's far, far, far too busy now to have populations that disperse from the pools near it. Um, it's just too busy. Animals are dying. Um, the trace isn't quite that busy yet. On a wet night, unless you're looking carefully, I would not take a back road through wooded areas unless you're looking carefully at the road. Because I get, again, from late September through, let's say, the um, early April on a good wet night, I'm picking up these species pretty much every night on the trace. But this, they're not just found on the trace. The marble and spotted salamanders are more generally distributed. So if I'm driving along there in the rain and I'm looking carefully, I'll be able to see them? Do I get You're, out and move them or what see, do I do? Move them in the direction they seem can, to be going? You can see, I think you are probably better off just, just going around them if you can do that or slowly bridge them. If you're bridging them fast, they can get tumbled and lose things. Um, I would again. I, I would avoid driving nice wooded back roads um, in wooded spots with nearby breeding spots on a wet night, unless I was out there to find them. So it's not usually a solid, continuous parade. There'll be no. gaps in there. I could yeah, wait oh, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. cross when they after 
give the salamanders you can't, the right you know, I can see You can see spots. You can see marble salamanders. If you're looking, you are not going to notice uh, a Webster salamander. This, where we have the little warning signs on the trace, the traces put those up to slow the speed limit to 35 on wet nights. I get to turn the key on that makes it happen, but it doesn't really <laughs> happen always like that. People keep going. That's there for us, for the but people. Because the Websters them. are so small, you're not going to. Well, we put that them. up for the marbles. For the originally, we started mm-hmm. this with spotted salamanders in January and February. And then we branched out into Websters. We no one knew they did this, and then into marble salamanders. But but you said you couldn't. You probably wouldn't see the Websters. That's you're not going to notice the Websters. <laughs> you're not going to notice them. So, mm-hmm. what kind of what color are the spots of a spotted salamander? Yellow. And it's a dark, uh, like a black almost, is that right? Bright yellow, orange, often orange, not always, often orange head spots. It's a large salamander. They're really neat. And again, these are are not uncommon, but most folks never see them. They come out at night, move to the, and they're really above ground only during the breeding season, so January, February. All right, how about the marbled salamander? Same deal. Common, uh, dark black background, silvery, silvery um, crossbars, or maybe white with a male. Chunky, really chunky, can't be missed, unless you're talking about the juveniles. When they disperse back from the breeding areas, they don't look like the adults. we got another caller on the line. We'll invite David into the conversation. Good morning, David. You're on the air with us. Uh, good morning. Um, I, I've lived on the uh, Mississippi coast for the past 10 years, but I grew up in uh, upstate New York, and uh, there was a salamander that we always found. It was uh, the red-spotted salamander. But I also heard it called... The Eastern Newt. Yep. Yes. That's it. E-W-T. Yep. Yep. I was wondering, what's the difference between a salamander and a newt? Newts are the difference. Newts are salamanders. That's one of the seven families of salamanders we have in Mississippi. And yours were prettier than ours. But I like ours. I just don't. (laughs) When I got home from the trip, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, in my time uh, up in Appalachia, I saw lots of salamanders of all different colors, orange, blues. I was wondering if the ones in Mississippi have that greater range of color. No. We don't have the okay. the Appalachians are the best spot in the world period for salamander diversity. It's really just a wonderful spot. More different sources. We do pretty well here, but not that well. Um the United States has more species and subspecies yes, of salamanders yes, than anywhere the else. Southeastern US. Eastern US, southeastern yeah. US. All right, David. Cool. Thanks for calling in thanks. this morning. So all newts are salamanders, but not all salamanders are newts? Correct, correct. All right, Uh, let's uh, take one final break this hour. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Still time to join the conversation with a phone call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. And one final salamander trivia question for you. What do you call a group of salamanders? A group of frogs is a colony or an army. A group of toads can be called a knot or a nest. What do you call a group of salamanders? We'll have the answer for you right after this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Today in studio, we have Tom Mann from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science learning about salamanders. Dr. Major's here ready to take some pet questions, and Libby is here as well. Join a conversation with a phone call. Still time to work in one at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Always a reminder that if you miss any of the local programs on MPB Think Radio... 
You can find it uh, with using a podcast app or uh, downloading the MPB Public Media app where you can listen to MPB Think Radio on your schedule. All right, so before the break, we talked about the name of a group of salamanders. Frogs are called armies or colonies. A group of toads is a knot or a nest. A group of salamanders. Do we have any guesses in the studio? Tom, any idea? No guess? A scoopful. <laughs> Bucketful. Yeah. It's called a Congress. A Congress. So that's what uh, our elected officials up there in, in Washington <laughs> are doing. They're running around like a bunch of salamanders. So, uh, that's an interesting one. I wonder how that, uh, that one came about. Uh, also, Tom, you said there is a, a Harry Potter connection to our discussion this morning. Yeah, there's a glitch here. Uh, Rowling refers to the little, the, she's talking about newts around um, fire logs, and those, she's talking about newts, but and she calls them lizards. She says she's confounding newts and lizards. Those are, what she wants to talk about is newts, which are salamanders, if you just learned a moment ago. So. <laughs> they are lizards. All right, so, what so is, there you have it. So It's a very common uh, misconception then. And the, uh, another generalization we could have made early and did not, um, if you're seeing it in the daytime without having turned something, if you're just out and abroad, you're probably looking at a lizard. With the sole exception of the one we just talked about, the newt, you might see that in the daytime. Um, they have dry skin. It's, a, it's an exception. Um, if you're seeing it at night, it's probably a salmon, unless it's on your porch or in your house, in which case it's probably a gecko, which is a lizard. So. <laughs> And he'll try to sell you insurance. And, and if, if you're turning a, logs over, it could be either one. It could be either one during the and day. And I do get you know? lizards. I get ground skinks. A lot of my fences on the trace we see. Uh, so that's a the daytime, mm-hmm. nighttime lizard. All right. Back to the phone lines we go. We begin again. Jill has called in from Matheson. Good morning, Jill. You're on the air. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for your program. Uh, okay. So uh, this little green thing, which I think is a skink that comes up on my patio sometimes. Um, and then there's another thing that's a little bigger than the green thing that is brown. And it actually got in my garage. It got in my storage room. And I'm afraid it's going to spawn in there. Uh, so what do I do? And then thirdly, I know this is not a show about arachnids, but uh, there's this huge um, spider that... Uh, it's whitish with a black mark down his back, and he has uh, black and brown legs. But he's huge, uh, and he makes a uh, zigzag pattern uh, she, web. She. I, yeah, I it's a to she. Yeah. That's a female garden spider, Arjaipi. Mm-hmm. Those are those are neat. Um, those are spiders, web makers. The and, green, the green, and they won't hurt anybody. They're yeah, not, yeah, they're the not green, dangerous the, at all. The green oh. animal was a, a lizard and an animal. The brown animal could have been a green animal that was brown. <laughs> we don't know. It could have been a gecko, <laughs> probably a lizard. And if it's if, unless it's a gecko, it's not going to be spawning in there. It's going to uh, the lizards are mainly will be laying their eggs outside in damp soil, uh, leaf litter beneath limbs, things like that. Geckos lay a hard shell egg up under your up in a in shelter. Usually, a, a man-made habitat could be a soffit, could be a closet. Um, it's a hard shell egg. They mm-hmm. stick to the surface. So, and if it makes you feel any better, they they all eat roaches. If, if <laughs> but, it went in your garage, it's eating roaches. But they don't eat large yeah. enough roaches. Yeah. We need so, a big. Well, we, if we, they, they eat the baby they, roaches, they, so they don't get big. So <laughs> that's why I leave the lizards alone in my oh, house I enjoy because them. Like I really don't like to see the roaches. And I enjoy the spiders as well. So all right. 
Jill, thanks for your call. Glad we could help out with the ID there. Let's uh, move on next. We've got Ginger in Moss Point. Good morning, Ginger. You're on the air with us. Hi. I have a question in reference to the uh, uh, salamanders or whatever. They're under my carport, um, and I'm really terrified of them. How do I deter them from being under my carport? And I noticed that they only they don't come out in cold weather. So under your carport, do you, you mean like under the concrete? How, how do where do you see them? Uh, oh, on the, um, the under the carport on the the, the top the, the okay. roof of the carport. Oh, in the yeah, roof. That, okay. sounds, that sounds like geckos. Ceiling. Yeah, that's geckos. They're on your side. Yeah, they're on your side. They're eating things no. you don't want around your house. I, I know, but I'm terrified. Uh, of them, how can I keep them all from crawling around? And sometimes they'll come inside the house if I open up the door. Uh, there's, um, there's nothing you can put out that would uh, that would harm, that would poison them, that would not be bad for you. So that's out to us. I hate to recommend sticky traps because those are horrible, but that would work as well. But, I mean, they're really on. They're helping us out. They're getting the things you don't really want in your house. Yeah, living in Mississippi, you're you going to have a was, lot of wildlife in the house. Uh, yeah. But I, okay. I appreciate the question. One was found. Uh, one was found under my pillow in my bedroom, uh, dead, under my pillow, and I screamed for dear life. <laughs> but he was dead. That's weird. Well, huh. it may have yeah, been crushed. It was about he might have been crushed. Yeah. Uh, that might been uh, describe it or or take a picture and send it to me. And we can tell you exactly what it is. Oh, my husband discarded of it. I ran out of the house so fast, screaming and hollering. Well, but, then if you can get a picture the next time you see one, it, the ones outside might be different from the ones inside. These are not salamanders. Sounds like something a teenage son would have done. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, these, these are not salamanders. So let's let's blame lizards. But again, right. uh, Ginger, thanks for the call. And I, I would say, yeah. Normally, the the skinks. I mean, they're not aggressive, and I would think when they get inside, they're not trying to get Ginger's inside. Ginger's not they, picking them up, so it's not. There's not a problem. They're not going to bite her because she's not yeah. picking them up. And they do eat no, bugs, and they don't purposely want to go in the house, I would think. They just but get in there. I think it's and Jill then... that's got the... Oh, Ginger, right. I'm sorry. Is it Jill? I bet. That... Yeah. yeah. No, Ginger. Hmm. I don't know. I'm sorry. For Matheson, Was I talking I the wrong... I, I'm sorry. Whoever has them in their house, <laughs> yeah. You're send stuck us with a them. picture. Send us a picture. Yeah. All right. So let's get this one final call in. It's uh, Marianne in Jackson. Good morning, uh, Marianne. You're on the air with us. Hi. I was riding along one day, and I saw this beautiful turtle in the road. There was no traffic, so I stopped and picked him up, and I put him in my fenced-in yard. That's been about a year ago. Well, I saw him this week. He's still back there. How can I make his life more comfortable? Turn him loose. My yard is pretty. He was up on the patio. I feel like he was getting water that I put out for my cat and dog. What can I do for him? First thing we need to ascertain is is what kind of turtle was it? Probably a box turtle since it's still alive. Oh, it's not. I thought it uh, uh, it, it's uh, kind of big around as a plate. Uh, Are are the legs striped? Does Does it have yellow stripes on the legs? Well, I don't think so, and does, he's not where I can see him. Okay, does it have two plates on on, on the underside? Can it close up in the shell? No. 
Huh. Could you take a picture of it, by any chance? And, and I, I don't know where he is right now. I've got a lot of growth in my backyard, monkey grass, etc. I'd say and, this, uh, um, Marianne, let's do this. Keep an eye out for him, and if you get a picture, uh, send it to us, and we'll be able to give you an idea of what it is and what you might be able to do to make his life a little bit more easy. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part uh, by listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Michelle McAdoo. So for Libby Hardfield, Dr. Major, and our guest today, Tom Mann, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next, it's the newest show on MPB Think Radio, Autocorrect, with the lady mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.